welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Welcome to Talk Tennis. Today's guest surely knows the ins and outs of the tennis industry, and he's worked for several amazing top brands at the highest level. He was the VP of Sales and Marketing at Prince. He was the Sporting Goods President and the Racket Sports General Manager at Wilson, and eventually was the man at Wilson, and has worked with several top players in many different capacities. He has been involved with the USTA, the TIA. He's the founder of Cardio Tennis, one of my favorite ways to work out on the court. And he was even inducted into the Sports Industry Hall of Fame, as well as the Tennis Industry Hall of Fame. He's known as a pioneer, an innovator, a leader of our industry. And today he's here to talk to us about his current project, which he started in 2013 called Fit America. He's now the CEO of this project, and he's made it his priority to improve the health and academic results of 50 million children in the U.S. by providing kids with increased physical activity and programs helping children afford to play organized sports. So welcome to Talk Tennis, Jim Baugh. You have literally done everything, and I'm so excited to talk to you. (laughs) Well, it's great to be here, and I don't have to say anything. You introduced (laughs) me, and there's not much more to say. (laughs) I, I mean... I've asked a few people around here. I obviously was given your contact from someone that works at Tennis Warehouse who knows you quite well, but I've asked other people and colleagues if they know of you, and they definitely do. You have major mark in the tennis industry. Can you kind of take me to the beginning and tell me how you even got involved in tennis and how you got your start? Well, my start actually was uh, when I was working at Converse before I went to Prince. I was with Converse, and I... uh, uh, started playing tennis back at my alma mater, which was Ryder University, Ryder College at that stage. Played tennis and I enjoyed the game. And I actually, when I was at Converse, I had all products, especially their basketball shoes, etc. I was a sales rep. But I had an interest in tennis by playing the game. I went to the U.S. Open for tennis, worked in that trailer. We had a, if Jay Wayne Rich, Richmond is on, on watching this, he'll understand it, where Jay Wayne and I, we were in that tra- trailer at the old, the, U.S. Open site, and we gave out Converse footwear and this uh, warm-ups, et cetera, to the players back then, way back. And But that's where I started to gravitate to it. But I got to know the president of uh, Prince, Bob McClinic, through his daughter, who went to Ryder College, where I was at school. And uh, Melissa introduced me to her father. And Bob uh, said, listen, I don't have a job for you, but I'll create one for you. So Bob uh, offered me a job as manager of dealer relations. Okay. And by the way, I don't think that job exists in any other company in America that I know of. And you say, what does the manager of dealer relations do? I went out, and this is where I got my education in the industry. I went out and went airport to airport, rental car to rental car, went into communities and, and stopped at this club, went to another club, went to another pro shop without them knowing I was there. And I listened. And I found out, hey, why is this club selling so many Prince rackets and this club is not? And that's where I really understood the importance of teaching pros. Mm -hmm. Because I realized if I give a racket to that pro, they influence so many sales. That's where it really got me anchored into a total grassroots local influencer strategy. So we went there from a manager of deal relations to eventually being vice president of sales and marketing for Prince, dominating the, the world, actually, with the oversized rackets. And I left Prince, and I'm giving you the road map now, left Prince without a job oh. because I, we were taken over by a company called Cheeseboro Ponds who made Ponds Cocoa Cream and sp- a ragu spaghetti sauce. <laughs> I said, I don't think this is going to take Prince in the right direction. I left, was a consultant, and I went out to Wilson. They hired me there as a consultant, and I eventually went up the chain and uh, uh, worked for, ran the tennis division, became president of the company, and uh, and started to look at some other things. But that's the, the roadmap <laughs> to the biggest parts of the industry as far as being in the industry. That's not an easy feat. I mean, you had to hustle and do some work. And it sounds like it's kind of cool that you, you, like, you've always been very grassroots oriented and ready to start and go create all of this for yourself. Well, you're 100% right because uh, 
when I was working in that first job at Prince, it was what, what told me that you got to be in the trenches. You got to be out there with demos. You got to be out there with teaching pros. You got to connect with local influencers. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, ironically, we were threatened by Wilson Sporting Goods at that stage because Howard Head, the owner of Prince, licensed the oversized racket to Wilson. Wilson, if they did the right things at that stage, could have kicked our butts. But what happened is Wilson introduced the same rackets as we had, basically, with their brand. And guess what they did to it? They took it to a show, and they ended up distributing the racket that was we were selling in pro shops to mass merchants and took away all the profitability for the local dealers. Uh-huh. So it actually helped me actually at the grassroots level again. So Wilson had a chance to be a blunder in my career. And thank God they opened the door. And ironically, I went out there to work. <laughs> well, it's funny how that works out. Um, you kind of used the word influencer already. And we are seeing a whole new brand of influencers right now in 2020. But talk to me a little bit. You kind of mentioned it already with the teaching pros and clubs. But how influential are the professional players that you've worked with and have, how have you seen them impact our sport? Okay. Uh, you, you <laughs> probably you mentioned that I've been involved with a lot of top players, but I uh, try not to get too close to professional players mm-hmm. because the amount of money that they cost, mm-hmm. they take away so many dollars that can be used in the trenches. Now you need it for brand imagery, but you can't let it dominate your budgets because if you pay these players and then you play their bonuses on top of that. You have very little money for teaching pros, for demos, for reps. That's the other thing is that you strip away funds that need to be put into the, in the trenches because when, at the companies I've been with, we were selling technology products. Mm-hmm. You need people trying at the local level. Now the pros, well, they're important, but it's more important to have a local person influencing your product because say a person that I'm paying hypothetically a million dollars to that'll take care those funds can take care of a lot of local influencers for sure and have you seen that change through the years especially the past 10 years well I saw a change in two ways is that unfortunately many many companies kind of walked away from the grassroots and actually walked away from local people making money with their products. So that was part of the thing I saw. Mm-hmm. And then I also saw companies that were, where the leaders got so close to the touring pros, they felt like they were kings with those touring pros. They sunk more money into there and they embraced that touring pro approach where everybody had to keep up with the Joneses. And as a result, the grassroots area had little funds to be able to support it. So I think it's two factors as manufacturers, some of them walked away from the local retailers more than they should have. And the second thing is that some of these executives really identified because it's pretty cool. Go to the U S open, you know, have lunch with Andre Agassi or Pete Sampras or Chris ever. You feel great. Yeah. Uh, This is the key. I did research back when I was running the Wilson, uh, the tennis division at Wilson. And I asked, it was actually done through Tennis Magazine, and we asked this question is, how many people knew what Pete Sampras was playing with? And it was so little. And then you asked them, did it really influence what racket you were using? And it was even less. And here's the thing is that Pete Sampras was playing with an old technology when I was pushing new technology. So (laughs) I never got close to the touring pros. They're important. But they're overrated, and especially in today's market where the price tag for these players has gone through the roof, primarily because footwear companies like Nike and Adidas spend so much money, but equipment companies don't have those funds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and kind of, you kind of hit the nail on the head. We can't guarantee that what the pros are endorsing or what they're actually playing with. And just because Pete Sampras can swing a racket doesn't mean you can. <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give you a nightmare. I don't know how much time we have, but I love <laughs> You're good. There was a player we signed, a good, good player, great player. He was number one in the world, Jim Courier. Okay. And we were so happy to have him. And then we came up with a marketing story. We came up with his pro staff racket. We made it with stars and stripes on it. And we thought it was going to be a bang up, with blah, be a different product people would see out there. He played one tournament with it. His peers started to give him a hard time about playing with a racket with stars and stripes on it. We had all this inventory and all this promotion. And guess what? We had to close it out. Oh, no. That's another side. So it's not just getting them to play your product, but do they want to be committed to it? And there's some risk involved with them. So I always go where it's safe 
and you guarantee some local, uh, some uh, endorsement, which is the local influencers. Yeah, and I have to bring up your former company, Wilson, did a great job with this when they introduced Clash to the market. And it was really cool to see a grassroots, we could use the grassroots um, kind of campaign where they kind of had a cool cosmetic to introduce it and no one knew what it was. And they literally used players all ages to kind of start their promotions and I mean, honestly, we haven't, we've seen a couple professional players use this racket, but there aren't, you know, the pros weren't endorsing it. They weren't using it. And it was a player. It was like a normal person's racket. Obviously, the key to my success through the years is I made game improvement products for the average player. And then if the touring post would play, it'd be great. But Wilson's doing a great job with Clash. Uh, Babylon's done a great job recently as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Prince, you guys are involved with Prince. I hope everybody does because you need a healthy industry with three or four top manufacturers. Yeah, for sure. And the fun thing with Prince is we're kind of keen into that nostalgia feeling that seems to be going through not just the tennis industry, it seems like all the industries and bringing back some old classics. I know Head also reintroduced an old classic and those have gone over well, which has been fun to see. Well, you need the classics and there's everybody, everybody's got it, but really the jumpstart. In fact, everything that I did through my career with Prince going from basically zero to 35% share was game improvement products. With Wilson, we went from 12% share to the profile took us up to about 30% share. Then the hammer took us to 40. Then we had the sledgehammer. They were all steps of improve performance for the average player. Mm-hmm. And you notice I didn't mention touring pros and that whole thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> Listen up. And Serena, so we had that for our, cred- uh, for our credibility and uh, for our image. And that was probably the riskiest, but the best endorsement or contract ever signed was with Venus and Serena. Tell me a little bit, if you, if you don't mind sharing, about working yeah. with them as yeah. they're yeah. such yeah. leaders in our sport. Well, it really goes back. Uh, the sisters, uh, they were very young. And uh, I knew, I said back then, I said, they're going to be bigger than the sport. And this was when they were very young. Mm-hmm. I said, they're kind of uh, controversial in some way. Their father, Richard, is a very unique individual. So I took it upon myself. You know, some of my staff at that stage said, don't touch them, don't touch them. I said, no, I want to go down. And I went down and I sat for six hours with Richard Russell. Wow. Was Richard Williams and uh, sat with him in his kitchen down in Palm Beach Gardens and we just bonded so we developed trust and the sisters came along we signed them they've been loyal since is it probably so that not they, there's a great example of a touring pro that their brand is bigger than tennis much bigger and that's the kind of players you want the key is getting them at the right price. And uh, I think if you look at co- companies like Nike, they've always gone for the brands of those players. Uh, and tennis is hard because you got you got to ride the wave of, uh, of what they're doing on a uh, business level. But also, if you've got brands like Nike or Adidas helping you too, it helps. So, But uh, again, the revenues of a, a Nike are much bigger than the revenues for a Wilson or, or a Babolat tennis. Uh, so... We in the equipment business couldn't afford those big contracts. I mean, you guys had some of the best of the best. So that's, it's still pretty telling to say even. This is the dual stat strategy overall. We always, because we always said we're going to be game approved products for the average player. Grassroots mm-hmm. strategies, but we had some great staff, uh, team members. Michael Wallace was the person that did it at Wilson Force. And he always, and that team worked with European connections. We always were working to get the younger top players that are coming up. And we did pretty well through the years. And you see it right with Roger Federer today. I mean, he's bigger than the game and he's so phenomenal. One of the great guys. And uh, that happens through working the trenches again. It's not because you can just go out and sign somebody for big dollars, but developing relationships and getting to know the player is really important. Yeah, that's amazing. And I've talked to several brands and the brands that really have that as their core really seem to have these players that speak so well about the brand and the sport. So it's obvious. Very cool. Talk to me a little bit. You just mentioned right before we started chatting that you were the founder of Cardio Tennis. And so it's obvious to me that 
activity and having fun on the court is important to you. Uh, we'll talk about Fit America as well a bunch. But how did that come about? Well, let me think of that's actually the second step. Okay. I want to, this is something the industry really should take notice of. Because many, many years ago, uh, the, when I was growing our share in Wilson Tennis, mm -hmm. up to 50, we were actually at 50% approximately. There was no growth in the industry. Actually, there was decline in the industry. And the industry was struggling. And uh, there was an issue that came out in Sports Illustrated. And I don't know if you're aware of this. Back in the cover issue of Sports Illustrated, they had a tennis ball that was flat. And it says, the headline of Sports Illustrated is tennis dying. <laughs> And I looked at it and I said, holy cow, <laughs> I says, we got a problem. So I immediately said, hey, this, it's, this is beyond growing my share in tennis. We got to grow the pie. So I picked up the phone and called my, uh, my uh, competitors over at Prince, at Penn, at Babylon, all major companies. I said, guys, girls, we got to grow the pie. And we invested at Wilson. $600,000 per year wow. to grow the sport of tennis. And the other companies stepped up too with their fair share. Mm -hmm. So we invested a lot of money into growing the sport. And we grew it from 24 share all the way up to, I'm oh, sorry, 24 million players up to 30 million players. First it was tennis welcome centers, which was an entry level program to get people into the game. So adults would get over the hump and enjoy the game as a beginner. Yeah, And then, I uh, said to myself, let's do some more research. And I did research with Americans, and I found that most Americans didn't think tennis was really a fitness sport. And Because I, I saw when you look at people that are in fitness clubs on treadmills and running and all the different fitness activities, that industry was booming, and we're sitting here stagnant. So I said, tennis is not perceived as fitness. How do we create an image of tennis that is fitness? So I said, let's create a third way to play the game. And that's where we launched Cardio Tennis. We did it. Uh, actually, the, the genesis of the idea came out of Hawaii. Okay. And then we, I bought the name from an entrepreneur out of New York. And he had a program similar. And I said, let's go with Cardio Tennis. And we launched it. And it helped us take it even further. And now they're Michelle Krause, who was with the TIA for years, she did a great job. Uh, following up on our, our initial launch, but we grew that that sport where it was now truly the third way to play tennis. You got singles, doubles, and cardio tennis. And it, the beautiful thing is that with the wave of fitness, what you still have in America today, mm -hmm. this allows tennis to take the average player. Instead of picking up balls like you do a lot in tennis, you're hitting a lot of balls and moving. So we had have great success with it. I'm really proud of it. Uh, it's another way to play the sport. And uh, we lost it and helped grow this game, which is to me the most, that's what, when the light bulb started to go out, hey, I can grow my share, but there's a bigger picture. Let's grow the sport of tennis. And that, eventually that rolled into my thinking over with Fit America. Yeah. And I, I remember when, what year was that, that it was first brought? Was it early 2000s? Mid 2000s? Yes. Uh, like in 1998 in that area. Okay. Yeah. Going go into these years, I mean. <laughs> Um, but I just remember I was a, a teaching pro at a country club right after college and I loved teaching cardio tennis because it was just such a cool way to get people hyped to work out. And like you said, you all of a sudden have a player that maybe isn't the best player or doesn't play three times a week, but they could get on the court and get a sweat going and run around and they had such a good time. We had music and oh, it was so fun. Well, about cardio tennis and we had research to back it up. Half the players. 55% of the players were existing players that were playing more often. Okay. Like and adding other, on. 45% were people who had never played tennis that love cardio. Totally. Because on cardio tennis, you got music, you had fun. And you take clubs like Midtown with Alan Schwartz out of Midtown in Chicago. That cardio tennis is booming because he got it. So this is about enlarging the audience for tennis. And these people turn into fans and help the USDA and the overall sport. Yeah, I love that. And I wonder if you would say that we're kind of in a similar situation now where people are kind of unsure where the sport of tennis is going, if it's growing, if it's declining. I think coming through this COVID pandemic, we've... Let me, let me say this. First of all, because yeah. uh, I, you know, I spent many years on the board of the USTA, 
and being president of the tennis industry association, I watch the sport because it's, it's my blood. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, the guy that's running international tennis, Dave Haggerty, the guy that's running USPTA, John Embry, and Michael Douse now who runs the USTA, they all work for me. So they're like my, my children in some ways. <laughs> I, uh, I keep an eye on them, uh, but I'm proud of them overall, what they're doing. But uh, the sport of tennis is really at the crossroads. Uh, I think there's a lot of focus on youth sport, or youth tennis. Mm -hmm. uh, Net Connect, I mean, tennis, uh, Net Generation is doing, um, I think it's doing okay. There's a lot of money spent there. I'm not a big fan of a lot of advertising. As you probably said, I, I didn't spend much money in advertising for my rackets, not alone a program. It's got to be done locally. Uh, so there's a focus on the youth. But I think the sport really needs to think about what's the right way to bring adults into the game. That's the low-hanging fruit. That'll help the industry and everybody overall. And I think a, a, a program like Cardio Tennis is a great way because mm -hmm. you can bring people in the sport, have fun, they pick up the game, and all of a sudden you want to get into ladies or whatever, but that's a way of bringing them in in a fun way and non-threatening way. So the sport needs to really have a good focus on adult entry-level programs. You, the sport's got a phenomenal leader in Mike Dallas. I know him. He was my sales rep out in the Pacific Northwest at Wilson. And I was just with him in Orlando. I was with him and Kurt Camperman. They were doing video work with me uh, for Fit America. And uh, they're, he got a great leader. I hope the USTA sections embrace him. Mm -hmm. Don't fight it. Don't just, let's be real, USTA. It's not been real effective in the present structure you've had over the years. You've got to change things. Or you can just sit there and say the money's going to come in, the money's going to come in from the U.S. Open. But that's the wrong philosophy. If you really believe in the mission of promoting the develop, growth and development of the growth of tennis participation, you've got to be thinking of different ways because the present formula hasn't worked. So Mike's a great leader. You've got some good leadership at the USPTA and John Embry, and you've got Dan Santormo of the PTR. But those people got to work together, and you need a grassroots youth program along with an adult program and everybody working together here for the brand of T-E-N-N-I-S. It's not Wilson. It's not USPTA. It's not USTA. It's T-E-N-N-I-S. That's where everybody's got to be united around. Yeah, a hundred percent. And there's, at least in California right now, we're still pretty locked down as far as things are concerned. And I'm seeing like a grassroots on an individual basis where the tennis courts have been open this whole time, thank goodness, but the gyms are still closed, and I'm seeing new players every weekend, families. Tennis has got a big opportunity now. Yes, like but let's do it. Local entrepreneurs got to be aggressive to reach out. Don't be sitting there and say, oh, my lessons are coming in, the same old people. This is the time to reach out. And by the way, with COVID-19, we have definitive research. The physical activity is a great way to protect kids and adults from COVID. When you get physically active, and what better way is it than to play tennis, you actually build up your natural defense system, which helps protect people from diseases. Also, what are they with COVID? Think about is this, uh, how you market this. With COVID, who are the people that are getting sick? They have hypertension, they have obesity, they have high blood pressure. Guess what minimizes it? Physical activity. Right. And tennis is the, probably the best sport in the world, whether you're five or 95, to get active. So it's time for the sport and entrepreneurs to be marketers now and reach out and grab the people because the sport's prime for growth. A hundred percent. Yes. I was hitting at a local court over the weekend and there were some girls, like teenage girls, and they're like, tennis is such a good activity. It burns so many calories. I'm like, let's go, ladies. <laughs> There's, none better. There's none better. We're talking about fitness now for the body, mind, and spirit, but yeah. there's that shows that tennis is the best sport in the world to build personality characteristics. You know, you think about it, you're on the court. It makes you think quicker. You've got to think about your opponent. You think about your partner if you're playing doubles. You don't get that in other sports. So yeah. it's such a phenomenal sport, but we got to do a better job marketing, not just nationally, but on a local level. For sure. Well, that kind of leads us into talking all about Fit America and how you even, I mean, it's obvious how you like decided this needed to be done, but talk me through the process of founding this organization, your mission statement. Tell me all about it. 
Well, uh, again, when I uh, was growing the sport of tennis with some key people, Alan Schwartz and Kurt Kepperman were my teammates, and Joe Lindeboer was at the TIA. We all worked together. We made it happen. We got everybody working together. When I became president of Wilson, my peers in the sports industry suddenly started talking to us, saying, what, what are we going to do about the sports industry? Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, let me look at this because I'm, you know, I'm not afraid to tackle a challenge. Because <laughs> uh, the sports industry, people – think it's growing, but they're watching sports. If I have TVs in here, there'd be, uh, be people be watching. I mean, think about it. Every sport's got its own network. Yeah. It's entertainment now. It's not what people are doing. So I studied it. And this is where I go back to my roots. You want my real roots? I'll tell you that in a second. Is that I studied the different questionnaires with Americans. I said, how did you get involved and learn the skills to play sports or to be active? And there's two ways. One is through the family, mom and dad mm-hmm. say, let me throw and catch with you. Let me teach. Let's go for a run. And the second place where all the kids are is in schools. And I said, holy cow. I says, how do we do this? And I said, we can't go after one family at a time. Right. But the schools are where all the kids are. And then I quickly learned that up almost 50% of all schools had dropped physical education through this time period. And many have dropped recess. And by the way, I'll show you a little 20 years earlier, my first job when I was in grad school, Marty Devlin, who's a tennis player, people will know. When I was at grad school at Ryder, he said, Jim, I want you to go down to Blessed Sacrament School in Trenton, New Jersey, and set up a physical education program. I didn't study to do that. I studied to run a business in sports. So I went down, set up PE program, and I taught kids for two years, a school that had no programs. Wow. 20 years later, <laughs> on a national level, or 25 years later, I'm doing it on a national level. So my roots go back there. You think about the seeds of what I did. Mm-hmm. And so I said to myself, well, if we really want to fix this, what we call the inactivity pandemic, which was big, I'll tell you the numbers in a second. We got to go to the roots of physical activity, and that's where all the kids are in the schools. So, Fit America, we started to launch ourselves. We are we push and still are big believers in a piece of legislation called the Fit Act, which will allow Americans to use pre-tax medical accounts for physical activity expenses. But I quickly shifted into what can I control? We raise money and we put it into local schools, and we've gotten over a half a million kids physically active in over eight hundred schools nationwide. And we're always looking for new donations and donors overall, but we've made a difference. And that's why our goal is now to get 50 million kids active. Why is that important? We have 58 million kids in America, 58 million. 50 million of them are not active to CDC physical activity standards. 50 out of 58 million. They're basically unhealthy. That's crazy. Now, if you don't believe that, there was a study done by the British Journal of Sports Medicine, and they went out to 50 developed countries in the world, and they did research on the fitness levels of the kids in those countries. U.S. kids, with all our resources and all our sports on TV, etc., mm-hmm. our kids are like 47 out of 50 countries in the world in fitness. They're in bad shape, and they're getting in worse shape as you go along, wow. especially in low-income areas. So I said to myself, this is way beyond sports. This is way beyond tennis and golf and everything else I represented. This is about health. It's about healthcare prevention. And we quickly learned that when you get people moving, if you went out and ran right now, guess what would, ha- what would happen to your brain? It lights up, the blood flow to the brain. Active kids do better in school. And it's even carried into national security. You say, national security? You realize that Basically, 90% of, I'm sorry, three quarters of all teens in America today are not fit enough to join the military. Yikes. That's crazy. This inactivity (laughs) pandemic is so bad. And by the way, this is to show you how bad it is, because I want to wake people up on this. COVID-19, make 2 million people may die this year. Right? The Lancet, the leading medical journal in the world, states that every year, Five million people die from physical inactivity every year. Does anybody talk about that? They no. talk about healthy eating, but they, we made life easy. You sit, I sit, we watch TV, we're on our mobile devices. These here are pacifiers for the parents, and we, people don't pay any attention to it. I call the inactivity pandemic 
the Rodney Dangerfields of pandemic, it gets no respect. But I am determined to make sure Americans know it. And we saw it through our grassroots approach again. Yeah. So what does that look like? Talk to me, talk me through your grassroots. Well, I, we go into schools and what we, I have two, we, first of all, we have a phenomenal model. We can get a whole school moving mm-hmm. for $4,000 and that's wow. years. So it doesn't cost much. We get funds from organizations and companies like Tennis Warehouse and others. And we take those funds and put them in the schools. 4,000 gets an entire school gone. That's less than $10 per child. Wow. So it's, we're very efficient. The ROI had to be there and we've made it there. But the biggest challenge for us, and this is where anybody out there that hears this podcast or sees it, mm-hmm. we need to get people to step up and make contributions, whether it's $10, $50, but I'm also looking to get to those foundations and then organizations that believe in, number one, our mission to create physical and mental health for children throughout the country through increased physical activity. So if they believe in that, and they see what we're doing and how efficient we're doing, step up and get a hold of me. And you can get a hold of me at jim at fitamerica.org. That's P-H-I-T America.org. Let's talk. And we look for volunteers. But the biggest thing is I need people to introduce me to the right people. And people that I say two phrases. They have deep pockets and they have a big heart. But any donation helps. $10, $100, $100 gets 10 kids moving. $10 wow. gets 10 kids moving. That's pretty powerful. And as tennis players, you know, physical activity is such a huge part of our lives. And I'm actually someone who at a young age, I didn't realize it. But um, if I went, you know, a day or two without physical activity, my parents would kind of like, do you want to go for a run? Like, do you want to get the endorphins going? And of course, when you're younger, you're like, oh, why why are they telling me to run? But I'm a nicer person after I work out. This is something I'll, I'll, I, I, I make a list because there's so much. I'm going to read you off all the things that physical activity does yeah. for the average person. Improves your health. It prevents and, and lowers health care costs because you're getting people to be healthier rather than sick. Mm-hmm. It reduces obesity. It reduces the chance of diabetes, cancer, and, and heart disease. It protects kids and adults from COVID-19, that's especially important now, or for future pandemics. It improves academic success up to 40% overall. It reduces depression, physical activity does. You just referred to it overall. Character development, I talked about what physical activity does for your character, especially sports. Mm -hmm. You learn how to be on a team, you learn how to handle adversity, you learn how to win and lose, et cetera. Improves national security because we need more active kids. Promotes gender equality. And you as a woman here, I'm not going to come to that. I'll mention it right now. 96% of all C-level female executives in the world grew up playing sports. I believe that. That's powerful. (laughs) If you don't grow up being active and playing sports, females are going to be a disadvantage because it tends to be more guys play sports overall. Mm -hmm. So if you want gender equality, this is a great way to do it. And also income, income equality, because our biggest problem with inactivity is in the Title I schools and low-income areas. we got to help them, too. By the way, if we don't help them, guess who's going to end up paying for it? We are. We either pay now or pay a lot more later on. Mm-hmm. And then active people live longer. Now, I listed all those things. You name me one thing in this world that does one half of that. <laughs> You can say, does healthy eating? Maybe a few of these, but it doesn't do them all and not to the level of physical activity. You can have any, anything you want. There's nothing that compares to it. There is the former head of the CDC, Thomas Frieden. He said this, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, we all should have been promoting it. He says, physical activity is the closest thing we'll ever have to a wonder drug. And he's 100% right. Mm-hmm. So I 100% agree, and I'm on board, and I'm all about the movement. Um, I have a question because I get asked this a lot. Um, there's a lot of parents out there who are very physically active and do their own sports, but they struggle to get their kids motivated to do something or move, or it's a chore. Do you have any advice on helping a parent out that is really trying to help their kids have a healthy lifestyle? Limit screen time. Don't <laughs> shut it off. There's apps out there where they can set it, where they can know exactly 
what their kids are doing on it, but limit it and reward them for less screen time. So we get to promote, you gotta play, we gotta get out and active, you gotta set time up. It's so easy to say, sit, sit in your home and you see your kid with a, uh, whether it's their iPhone or with iPad and they're safe, but they're addicted to these things. But the only thing they move is their fingers and that's not healthy. Yeah, 100%. So I would say two things, cut down screen time, get active, make sure your school has physical education, not once a week, not twice a week, three times a week. Again, keep in mind, 93% of the kids in America today are not active to CDC standards. And school is the best place to get them moving. And by the way, when they get into school and they're moving, their brains light up and they can learn better too. Yeah, I was just talking to a colleague and she was saying how she was so excited because the kids have a new PE teacher and he's making everything super fun. And it's so important. Her little ones are young and, you know, like I think first grade and maybe a little bit older than that. But, and she talks so much about how much better they are when they're active and their brains are thinking and they're doing different things. They're just better kids. <laughs> think about it. List right here. The PE teachers probably got the most important job in this whole country because the benefits they're giving to these children. And by the way, let's not forget, they teach these kids these habits of being physically active. It stays with them for life. The real danger is we got generations of kids that are growing up today. They can't throw, run, jump, or skip or anything. Imagine those kids. They can't have not developed any hand-eye coordination trying to go out and play a sport like tennis later on in life. No way. That's crazy. Yeah. So you kind of already oh, hit on it. Enormous, but I, it's, uh, I see it very clearly. Oh, I'm sure. But so if someone wants to get involved or even let's say their kids don't have a PE program, what's the first step to take a step forward in helping with this Fit America grassroots? We have tons of information on our website, fitamerica.org. It's phitamerica.org. Uh, go there. Uh, you can use that information to approach schools in that area. Contact me again. It's Jim at fitamerica.org and find some local people that can rally with you. Because see these educators, there was something I should go back to in 2001. Mm -hmm. It was a piece of legislation passed called no child left behind. That legislation said every school is going to be rated on two things, math and English, how they do academically. So that's when they threw out physical education, recess, music, art. The balance went out. And by the way, when they took all those things out and had more study time and test time, guess what happened to their grade levels? Flatline. There was no improvement because the brain wasn't moving because of the blood flow overall. Mm -hmm. So the parents got to work together, go back and lobby for their local people, work with organizations like Fit America, and then, listen, that's where we need to have local fundraisers, whether it's working with banks or healthcare companies, uh, anybody that's lots of local foundations, for $4,000, we can get a school moving, and we just need to have a school that really buys into the process. But we're here to help people get through that process. Yeah. And I feel like it's such an important part on the local level. I mean, I, we're in San Luis Obispo. It's such a small community. We all kind of know each other, but it's kind of one of those things that if you are in a town that maybe your kid's school doesn't have a PE program, this is the opportunity to do that fundraiser, maybe have a walk-a-thon or a run-a-thon or something fun like that and start raising money and get, yeah. get a moving. This week, every racket that's sold, we're going to give a dollar and, and support the schools in San Luis Obispo. Yeah. Let's not do that. Every company Companies should be thinking about how do they think about the bigger pictures overall. And uh, we have to arrest this problem. There was something I just slipped my mind. You made me trigger on something. <laughs> I got so many things that are flashing. I know. <laughs> but, uh, we got to fix this problem. And it's for the future of those kids. And if we don't, they're all in trouble long term. Our country's in trouble long term if we don't affect this. Because all those things are not going to be fixed unless we work on just more movement overall with Americans. For sure. And most of our listeners are already tennis players, but if you were to speak to someone who has a family, has never played tennis, and maybe they're slightly intimidated, what do you think would be the easiest way to get them on the court? Just kind of like grassroots style again. I mean, 
I just love seeing the sport grow. And I think tennis is such a great physical activity. So what would you recommend if someone was starting? I would say make sure you get, you find the local program, not necessarily a teaching pro, mm-hmm. a program that will get their them or their family over the hump. Tennis, you got to develop some skill set there. It's not one lesson. Usually it takes five or more lessons, but there's group programs out there. When we had tennis welcome centers, it was five lessons for $99. And it really worked because it made people feel comfortable about making the investment, but it got people over the hump so they felt comfortable. And then there's programs like cardio tennis. If I were were a, a family or somebody, an adult, definitely wants to get involved. I find a cardio tennis program and say, you cater to beginners as well as advanced players. There's some cardio tennis programs, again, have gotten in the serious market, uh, but you got to make sure the program has it. Cardio tennis is a great way. And there's other adult programs, mm-hmm. but they get them in entry-level programs, whether it's kids or adults. Yeah. And there's lots of parks and recs out there that aren't as intimidating as a club and not as expensive. So that's a good, good call. Yeah. Now you have a petition on your website. Tell me exactly what the petition is for and let's get people to go sign it. <laughs> okay. We have a, uh, with COVID, we've been uh, very much into let's educate America. So we are going out to America and I hope everybody can write down this URL and go to it. It's petition for healthy petition for healthy And we'll add a link. And that's a link, right? So that'll take you right into our website, into a petition. That petition is basic, basically saying, it does say, every child should have at least 30 minutes of physical activity at least three days a week in school. goes back to the void in schools. Mm-hmm. So it basically says, I believe in it overall, and we're going to take the data and the information, go to educators and legislators and essentially say, we got to have that as part of the law. But we want people to go to there, learn about the problem, because you'll see there all the information about the inactivity pandemic you'll learn about Fit America as well. But the big thing is show your support for that overall. We have a social media campaign we're going out with now is protect kids from COVID-19 by increasing physical activity. Mm-hmm. And Thursday, we're launching a campaign, little preview. I don't know when this is going to be on. <laughs> on September 24th, we're going to have a campaign that we're going to call out all the national leaders. We have posts on social media with Donald Trump, Trump and Joe Biden saying, don't forget number four. And that will, and, and what that means is that we show wear a mask, social distancing, wash your hand, and number four, increase physical activity. And to help more, go to petitionforhealthykids.org in America. So we're getting people to that petition to educate them and to create awareness for what we're doing overall. And we just encourage people to get there. Because this picture of educating people about the pandemic, remember, not many people get respect of that. We find ways to make life easy instead of making realize that people, kids were made to move. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest thing people always ask has, what's the best way to be physically active? If you start making it a, an important part of your life and you kind of schedule it in, which you guys are pushing for with recess, it just becomes another habit, like brushing your teeth or, you know, brushing your hair. It's what you do. And you literally will see the difference in your attitude, in your mood, in your, your health, in your physical well-being. And I, like, again, I'm a hundred percent behind this. I couldn't be more. Your company is that you got tennis, which is a sport you can play whether you're five or three or whatever, mm-hmm. 93 or 95. Uh, you're also involved with running. Running yeah. and walking. Walking is the best thing anybody can do. Get up. In fact, I make a habit of getting moving early in the morning. It's my blood flow going up. Also, riding a bike is another way people can do it. So there's inexpensive ways, then there's sport ways like tennis and then running. You don't have to take it up as a marathon. Just yeah. get out. Have fun, move. If you, you have some pain in your legs, just walk and walk. Eat. You got great walking products. But the sports you cover are right in the sweet spot of what Americans can do and very do it fairly inexpensively. Definitely. So I love that. And we're going to send everyone to your website and sign the petition and keep pushing because this is the way. Now, I just kind of wanted to wrap up this episode with a few questions. Let's say there's someone out there listening. Let's say maybe they're on the younger end of things. What is some advice that you can give? Like, as I mentioned, you've accomplished so much in our industry. What has kept you going and pushing the boundaries and what keeps you just kind of continuing to push and create and 
give someone some advice to get to your level in life? Well, two things. One is that this is where sports comes in again. When I was young, I loved sports. I love competing. I still love competing. People will know in the industry, I love competing against my competitors and I love winning. And uh, I don't like losing at all. So playing sports is real important. So yeah. That's important. We talked about gender equality. It also is for anybody overall. But more importantly is that through my career, I've always had, and this is so important for people to realize, you go through life. And I went, by the way, I was a conditional freshman at Ryder. I had to go to summer school to get in. But I had met various people in my career that opened doors for me. So you got to meet people. Be a great person, work your tail off. Nothing replaces hard work. Work your tail off. Realize everybody that you connect with, how can they help you accomplish some of your own dreams? And when I, by the way, when I went, I told you about Converse going to Prince with Bob McClinic and Melissa McClintock. Then when I was at, Wil at Prince, Jack Murray was there. Jack Murray went to Wilson. He says, Jim, come on out there. So these people were helping me. But you got to take advantage of it. I see so many people that get placed in great jobs, they'll take advantage of it. So work hard, win, find ways of winning and competing. Life's not easy. It's a competition <laughs> overall. And number three is take advantage of every situation. And, you know, when you're put in that great situation to succeed, work hard at it. Nothing replaces hard work. Ah, that's great advice. I love that. Very good. Um, I have one more completely random question that I was told to ask. <laughs> that has nothing oh, to do with that. Um, I'm single. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, well, maybe this is a different podcast, but <laughs> um, what is a superstar product? That's just going back, I'm assuming. Well, superstar product is those game improvement products. Okay, okay. So we superstar already hit on that. Like, I thought that was going to be something more glamorous. <laughs> profile tennis racket, the profile tennis racket. I mean, sorry, the Prince tennis racket, the profile tennis racket. We had a shoe called the Pro Staff Tennis Shoe. Oh, I was, I was told to ask about that too. <laughs> Why was this a superstar? It was a shoe that we used in the 500 rubber, which lasted long. And by the way, all these products... Superstar products really have one common characteristics. When you play with it, you love it, you talk about it, and you tell your friend. I don't need advertising if that happens. I love that. So make sure we have those products through my career. And I also did it with golf. We had some great golf products that worked at Wilson in the same way. Very cool. <laughs> well, I like the other ending instead of the, <laughs> with the three things, just hustle, win, and hustle, win, keep pushing all of, oh, and you take advantage. Yeah. That's such good. That's such good advice. People, I, the old phrase of people make the world go around is so, I mean, you think about it. What I talked about local influence, influencers is people. And a lot of people just think it's resume. God, my resume. Yeah, it's good now, but <laughs> conditional freshman. I had a, I only got accepted the one college and I was conditional. So if it's just all about the college, it's not. It's all those experiences of people throughout your, your career. And it started actually, here's the other key that happened to me. And I don't see it nowadays. Mm -hmm. I should have thought of this. <laughs> I started working when I was nine years old. And too many parents, ah, it doesn't have to work yet. They don't have to work. They make life easy. Going back to this, they make life easy. Get your kids working early to understand the world is around business in many, many ways and learn what it takes to get a job done and be successful. So true. Okay. This is for sure the last question. What is next? You have already pushed the boundaries in so many ways. What's next for you? <laughs> well, this pandemic challenge and this is, is bigger than everything else that I've done combined. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, uh, I got to find a way of making this happen. And I'm pushing everything I have with our limited researchers. I need some partners out there. We can finish, by the way, we can go into every school in America and get these kids moving with the price tag that we have for less than $500 million to really impact a pandemic in America. So it doesn't cost that much. So I'm determined to make this happen because it's way beyond the sports industry. This is about our, our future overall. I have no children myself, but I got 50 million kids I'm trying to help overall. You've got your hands full. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
Uh, that's awesome. I and I knowing just knowing you from this last chat, the last few minutes, um, I'm sure you're going to make it happen. So well, I'll go work work like crazy towards it and keep every angle on. I need some people out there to help, and because uh, this is not a this is a big this is the biggest challenge I've ever had, and, sure. and done. Yeah. Or our, our society will suffer, and this is not just the U.S. By the way, this is a global problem. Definitely. And we have listeners all over the world and we will link your email. We'll link the petition. We'll link the website. And if anyone has any further questions, they can get a hold of you. They can get a hold of me. We will make this happen. Be a part of the movement. Grassroots. Keep pushing. We also hopefully are going to continue to grow the sport of tennis. And we are encouraging anyone out there to start something new. Don't listen to those voices in your head like push forward. Let's go. Let's make it happen. We got it. We, listen, this is a, I, I found that this is a question you could ask because I think a lot of this stuff is that one of the things I've seen over the last few years is a lot of people have been complacent and worried about their own personal wealth and their own greed in some mm -hmm. ways. This is the time that we've made good livings, many of us, and my peers and yours also are that. So it's now time to think about, all right, it's not just about me and my 401k. How do I think of the bigger picture? Same thing with tennis we talked about. Everybody, think of the bigger picture because we got some issues in our world that we got to solve. This pandemic is, to me, it's, it's the roots of a lot of things because if everybody gets more physically active, a lot of great things are going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, it's so contrived, but like literally your Starbucks habit or coffee habit, my coffee habit, if $10 um, for per kid can help out, like it's not that hard to <laughs> donate. Exactly. And, and, then, <laughs> and the great thing about it, what we do is that if we receive money in, let's say we receive money up to $4,000 in your community, we'll find schools in that area that will want to work with our programs. And we don't force it, by the way. We don't ever say, ABC school, we're going to send you a kit. It's like the government. Mm -hmm. We make sure there's somebody in that school that we call a school champion that wants to implement the program and is accountable for delivering results. Raise money locally, we can put it down locally into the schools in that area. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Jim. I absolutely love chatting with you. We're going to have to check back in through the year and make sure that we're on track and we're hitting those numbers and we're getting more people active. Um, I'm willing to talk to uh, the tennis industry anytime or anybody that's out there about this because uh, they all got to understand what's going on. And uh, I've been studying it for many years. And this is, a, this is a great opportunity for us all to make a big difference. For sure. Yes, I love it. Any, anything else before we, we finish uh, this awesome episode? <laughs> I'm sure there's more, but we covered a lot. We did cover a lot considering your, your accomplishments. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, I mean, we could talk all day, but <laughs> which some days I do, but <laughs> no, I really appreciate you joining me and telling me more about Fit America. It was awesome. Okay. Well, great. Let's grow the sport of tennis. Let's grow all our businesses along with it and look at the bigger picture as well. So. For sure. For sure. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you download your episodes. And be sure to visit our websites for all of the tennis deals at tenniswarehouse.com, tenniswarehouseeurope.com, and tennisonly.com.au. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, happy hitting. B-A-L-L -L without the L's. Ball. Ball. Okay. <laughs> okay. B-A-A-L. Well, without. B -A -B -A. Anyways. <laughs> Pronunciation's not my forte. <laughs>